<laughs> good morning. That's not a very good uh, example of influence, is it? <laughs> uh, that's what we're talking about today, influence. We're in our third week of our series called Seizing Divine Moments. And uh, John Maxwell, he's a leading teacher, he's an author, he's a speaker. Some would say he's one of the greatest authorities on the subject of leadership. And he says leadership is all about influence. Influence. Human beings were created with this capacity to influence and be influenced. We have a huge appetite for it. Why do you think so many 9-11 heroes were identified? It's because we're looking for those who can inspire us with their acts of influential heroism. Unfortunately, we don't always influence or allow ourselves to be influenced in the right direction. The video was an example of that. There's a thing called positional power. And it, maybe you, you would call it controlling power or authority or domination. It can influence, but it typically influences in the wrong direction. The problem with positional power is that while you can control some of people's actions, you really can't capture their heart this way. There are a few things that are obvious to us. Two things I want to bring up that are obvious to us, or at least should be obvious. One is that we're more open to influence than we are to authority. You know how we just kind of have a natural bent to resist authority. But influence is different. It's kind of like in accountability. Um, accountability is a, a, a popular thing. You know, our government is set up to have checks and balances so people can be accountable. How well you think that's working? <laughs> Lots of politicians aren't very accountable, are they? It's because you can't force accountability on somebody. Someone has to invite that. They have to say, I want you to hold me accountable. So a big downside of influence is manipulation. Manipulation is the use of influence to control others for personal gain. That's a lot of the, the mistakes with this accountability thing. I love accountability, but, but when you form a group together and you say, well, this group, the, the role of this group is to keep this person or that group accountable. That's really a form of manipulation. It's saying, we want it to go our way, so we're going to force the issue. The manipulative form of influence is really evil. Inherently, it's evil. So we've got to be careful to identify it and stay away from that. But the upside of influence, the true good influence, is a way to lead people. It's the best way to lead people and move people toward what is good. Another thing that's obvious to us about influence is that influence is always about other people. When we seize a divine moment as an influencer or one being influenced, we should remember that God's greatest moments for us are not just for us. They're not for us alone. A life touched by God always ends up touching others. Uh, many of you uh, heard about this young woman named Allie who just passed away last week. She lost a battle to cancer. 
23 years old. She lived a quarter of the time that most people live. Yet, she was touched by God. It's so obvious. You read about her. You hear what people say about her. She was touched by God. And because of that, she touched others. That's why there were hundreds of people at her funeral. Well, let's, let's lead into the Jonathan story, the Jonathan factor. We've been looking at that. King Saul, his father, he, he messed up, abused his authority, and got called out on it. And he's sitting there under the pomegranate tree with his 600 soldiers, not doing a thing. And that was when it was time for Jonathan to seize his divine moment. He goes and, and picks a fight with the, the, the army, the enemy. And this is what he says to his uh, armor bearer. He says, let's go across to the outpost of these pagans, these guys that shouldn't be messing with God's people. Let's take care of them. Maybe God will help us. And here's what the armor bearer says. And this is so revealing about Jonathan's influence on the armor bearer. The armor bearer says, do what you think is best. He says, I'm with you completely, whatever you decide. I love another translation that says, I'm with you, heart and soul. Go do it. Let's go together. Now, Jonathan had a keen sense of his sphere of influence, where it was and where it wasn't. Notice he didn't wake up his father. That conversation was over. I mean, Saul had already messed up. He was boo-hooing about his problems and and the last thing he wanted was some whippersnapper to give him some advice or give him an idea. So Jonathan knew he had no influence over the king of Israel. Also notice he didn't attempt to persuade the 600 soldiers under Saul's leadership. He wasn't stirring up an uprising. This, this wasn't a, a, a mutiny or anything like that. He understood he didn't have authority over the army. Many times we conclude that we are powerless because we can't change things that are kind of above us, you know, out of our realm. So we, we take that a step further and conclude that we can't change anything. I just can't make a difference. If Jonathan accepted this powerlessness, he would have never seized his divine moment. Now I want you to look at the two roadblocks here. Roadblocks that mislead us. Lack of authority and lack of resources. That could have paralyzed Jonathan because he had lack in both of those areas. He could have accepted those as undeniable signs that God did not want him to move forward. You know how it goes. Well, I'm not in a position to say anything. I can't do anything about that. Or I don't have the resources. I, I don't have any money. I don't have enough people. I don't have the right education. You know, all that kind of stuff can just paralyze you and keep you from moving forward. But we can learn a lot from Jonathan's next move. Even though the king had all authority, the army didn't belong to Jonathan, he didn't allow those limitations to limit him. Saul gave him one sword and the authority to use it. 
You say, well, it's just one sword. Yeah, but it's one sword. He also had the authority over one person. It's one guy. Yeah, but it's one guy. He's got a sword. He's got a guy. <laughs> Notice he didn't command his armor bearer to, to, to follow him. This relationship that Jonathan had was an inspiration to this armor bearer. All he did was invite him in. Now, a servant, of course, is supposed to obey their master. But this armor bearer expressed more than obedience. He expressed his allegiance. I'm with you, heart and soul. You see, the title, the position, the authority, that may hold some power. But influence travels through relationships. And in the end, influence is really the wellspring of power. That's what John Maxwell is saying. That the leadership thing is all about influence. It's not about how good you crack the whip. It's about influence. So here are three things that hopefully will help us maximize our sphere of influence. That's what I want us to walk out of here with today maximizing our sphere of influence, whether that's a small sphere or a giant sphere. We need to maximize what we've got. So the first thing we need to know about this is that influence is contagious. It's totally contagious, like that silly little drama sketch we did. You know, everybody walked in the room and I caught it. You know, that's how, that's how influence works. Have you ever looked at the middle of the word influence? F. L-U is in there. People who are influential pass on what they have like the flu. If you ever want to know about influence, look at the trail of influenza. It's airborne, and it passes most quickly through human contact. We've got to have that human contact. I, I've seen, uh, you have too, a lot of authors who... You know, they're kind of eccentric, so they're going to go away to Montana in the wilderness and get a cabin for a year and write a book. Or they'll go to, Austra uh, well, Australia too, I guess, but what's the A state up there? Alaska, that's what it is. <laughs> <laughs> it's, they go away and, and they're totally cut off from civilization so they can write their book. But they're of no influence until what? They sell their book. <laughs> So they still need that connection to people. Now, we're all carriers. So the question is, which flu bug do we carry? All of us pass a bit of ourselves on to other people. So we need to make sure that we infect others with a gift and not a curse. Relationships are the venue through which influence travels. God's invitation for us to seize divine moments is found in the needs of other people. I mean, that, that was a moment we had with Keith and Alicia up here. I mean, the reach thing is it's kicked off. It's going, good job, Keith. Way to go. It's, it's happening. And that's a divine moment. Now, it, you know about the great commandment. You, you better know about the great commandment. That's two of our three parts in the three-part process. Love God, celebrate God, and connect with his people. The great commandment, Jesus said, um, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. 
and love your neighbor as yourself. You can summarize the great commandment in one word, relationships. Nothing matters to God more than relationships. That's why he sent his only begotten son to die on the cross for our sins. The reason he sent him, the reason that happened, was so we could get back in right relationship with him. So what we discover here is the simple fact that when we form friendships, they catch what we have and we catch what they have. Influence is contagious. Another thing we need to know to maximize our sphere of influence, you never know who you're going to touch. You just never know. The definition of influence is a power affecting a person, thing, or course of events. And watch this. Especially one that operates without any direct or apparent effort. You hear that? It's influence happens mostly without any direct effort. Most of the time, we don't even notice our influence. Think of it. Think of the people that have influenced you the most. Isn't it just kind of a natural thing? If you go back to that manipulation thing, the bad form of influence, those are the people who claw and tug and push and shove and scream and yell to get what they want. But a real good influencer just kind of, it's just there. just happens. Very natural. We not only underestimate how contagious our influence is, but there's also no way to fully measure how many people our influence will affect when it runs its course. Let me ask you a question. Do we have drive-by acquaintances, or do we truly cultivate relationships? Drive-by friendships or cultivated relationships? Uh, the word fellowship is a popular word in the church. It comes from the Greek word in the Bible, koinonia. I think we kind of flippantly use that word too much in the church. You know how it goes. We need some more fellowship, so we need a potluck supper. Everybody bring a dish, we're going to have a potluck. Now, don't get me wrong, I love to eat. I love to eat with you guys. But that's not what they really did in the early church. That's not all they did by any means. The word fellowship in the first century church was all about sharing with one another. Whatever need you had, I helped. Whatever need I had, you helped. It was all about that. It's kind of like what I talked about um, a couple weeks ago with the benevolence team. The benevolence team is formed to help people. But if we're not connected enough, if we're not having true koinonia, well, how do we know who needs help? In the early church, if they had a potluck and some people, you know, wouldn't come to Cornerstone for the potluck because, I don't know, maybe they're hurting financially, they can't afford a dish for everybody, or maybe they emotionally are in a bad place, they just don't want to be around people. Well, in the early church, people would have known that, and they would have taken the potluck to that house, or they would have said, come on in, we can talk to you about your problem. So you see, 
doesn't have to be that much of a deal. Just, just something authentic. What we describe as simple kindness, like shaking somebody's hand and going just a step further and looking them in the eye and saying, how are you doing today? How's your life? Can I pray for you about anything? What we describe as simple kindness can translate to another person as a divine moment. That could be what they needed. Often the divine moments, they, uh, they're a little bit of an inconvenience on the front end. But we must never underestimate the importance of one moment, one word, one small deed in the life of another human being. That touch, we can divide it up into two areas. We can do two things, one of two things or both of these things. Your touch can be far-reaching. Divine opportunities are sometimes like windows or doors that just open and you walk through them. But other times they're more like corridors where you just got to keep walking, keep walking until you get to the other side. And never underestimate how far God can take the momentum of you going through that corridor. You feel like it's nothing. You feel like it's just this kind of nominal influence. Take Allie again. She passed away not having a clue probably of how far-reaching her ministry was. You know, Terry and I met her and her husband and her parents and that was influential to us. But even if we hadn't met her in person, the things I heard through Lindsay, our youth director, and, and uh, Megan, our connect director, they were friends with them. And they, they told me things that influenced me about her. That's why there were so many people at her funeral. It just goes on from one person to the next and the next and just keeps going. So your touch can be far-reaching. Another thing about our touch, it can go deep. It doesn't have to stay surface. Like you can, you can pay people to do a job, but you can't pay them to change their minds or change their hearts. External power is limited in that it brings only external change. Jesus made a big point of this with the Pharisees. He called them whitewashed tombs. What he was meaning was, you know, you can get the pressure washer out there and spray off the tombstone so clean that you can eat off of it, but it still has nothing but dead bones inside of it. Influence is the material of internal power. Real influence changes how a person feels about something. It has the impact not only uh, on how a person acts, but what a person believes. You can see that difference, like the difference between authority and influence, when we watch our children grow up. What they act like under our authority can be quite different from what they become as a result of our influence. Erwin McManus says he's convinced that great parenting is all about influence. Sounds like John Maxwell. Parenting is part of leadership. Then he says, it's more about shaping values than it is about setting boundaries. Now, we need to set boundaries with our kids. Don't do this. Don't go there. Don't hang with that person. But when you talk to adults, 
who are talking about their parents, when it comes to the boundary stuff, that's usually when they're making fun of us. <laughs> that's usually when they're joking around and saying, oh, my dad never let me do that at all, you know. But when they talk about values that were shaped, they say things like, you know, my dad had such a great work ethic. It's become one of my core values. Or, or, or they'll say, you know, I watched my mother tell the truth in every situation. She was just so big on telling the truth, and it shaped my values. When Jonathan's armor bearer said, I'm with you heart and soul, he expressed a depth of loyalty that's very rare. Very rare. It wasn't about obligation. It wasn't about Jonathan's idea that he was just agreeing with. He believed in Jonathan. It was a deep trust. Let me talk to all of us who have the guilt trip come in every once in a while. This does not mean we have to be perfect to be effective at influencing others. We don't have to be perfect. I try. Sorry. I'm not perfect. Neither are you. And we don't need to worry about that because it's not about being perfect. It's about being on this journey toward doing our best. We're just all on a journey together. It's okay if people see our flaws. It's okay if they see our sins, but they must see us humbly confessing those shortcomings if we want to be influential. I hope you don't put me on some pedestal like I'm perfect. I try to be, but I'm not. Listen, I hope you believe me when I say I've got flaws. You probably do. I hope you even believe me when I say I've got sin in my life. I'm a sinner who needs to be saved by the grace of Jesus Christ. But I've got to confess that. You know what the problem with that is? When you confess things, when you get it out, it kind of makes you feel nervous. Like maybe, maybe they don't respect me anymore. I'm supposed to be a pastor. L let me tell you a story how this really got to me. Seven or eight years ago, I don't know, a little while ago, this couple came in my office. They were at the end of their rope. I mean, they had royally messed up their marriage. They had lied to each other. Um, one had an affair. The other one spent money without telling the other. And, and they were literally bankrupt financially and emotionally. I mean, their marriage was on the rocks. And they came and they just spewed all this stuff. Well, after we talked through most of it, they got to a place where they couldn't get over their embarrassment for what I now knew about them. They were like, David, this is really embarrassing. Now you know all this stuff. How can we even come back to church? You know, we're so, you feel like you don't respect us now for what we've done. And what if other people find out? I said, are, are you kidding? Are you kidding me? I have so much respect for you now because you did do that. I shared a Bible verse with them. I said, let me, let me show you how this works. There's a Bible verse that says, let's confess our sins one to another and pray for each other so that we may be, anybody know? Healed. 
let's do that. And I said, look, if that was just something I read, it's just like reading some school textbook. But when it comes alive in people and I see it happening, oh my goodness, the bravery I see in you now, the, the potential for you to influence not only me because I saw this, but influence other people in the future. It doesn't matter that now where you are is where you are. It, it matters what's going to happen now. Erwin McManus would say this to the couple. He would say, our influence is not limited to our present condition. Did you hear that, guys? Your influence is not limited to your present condition. He says, it's expanded by our intended destination where we are committed to the journey. This couple was committed to the journey now. They got it all out. Now it was time to pray and be healed. And I, I said, and I don't know how long it's going to take for you to be completely healed to the point of, of what I'm going to say, but it'll happen someday, and then you're able to help other couples who think their marriage is on the rocks and there's no hope. So confessing sins, getting it out, it, <laughs> that doesn't make you ineffective. One more thing, and this is the most important thing for us to change when it comes to our sphere of influence, to maximize it, we need divine influence. We need to be influenced inside by the divine influencer. Jesus Christ is the greatest example of true influence, reaching into the heart and soul of a person, changing them from the inside out. Out. That's how it happens with God. When we are influenced by other people, it's the outside in. We see what we like, we, we, we hear what we like, and we try to stuff it in. <laughs> okay? But with God, for a Christ follower, he lives inside of us. It's happening from the inside out. When God does it, it's the miraculous, the miraculous work of transformation. You know how we talk about that. We can't transform anybody. I can't reach out as much as I want to. I can't mold and shape you guys into the image of Jesus Christ. Only God can do that. Here's the challenge set before us. We should not only take initiative. Remember we talked about that the first week. Initiative is important. We've got to get up and do something. Last week we talked about moving into the realm of uncertainty. We need to do that, but that's not all. We also need to maximize our sphere of influence. We need to grow in Christ. Let God shape us into Jesus' image and let that sphere of influence get to its max place. We're going to do something now that will be a, a reminder communion. We're going to share the Lord's Supper together. I want to know, is there any better reminder of influence, the influence Jesus has on us as individuals and as a church? Is there any better reminder than communion? What are we remembering? Let me read the words of the Apostle Paul out of 1 Corinthians. 
the Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. And then listen to this. For whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. We are proclaiming that the sacrifice Jesus made for us is central to our mission and our life together as a church. It's central. If Jesus didn't do that sacrifice for us, there's no reason for us to be here. We're still dead in our sins. But he did that for us. That's what we're remembering. We're remembering his influence on us. And that influence, when it happens from the inside out, changes us and makes us want to follow him in everything. In everything. So the ushers are going to come. They're going to release you from the back rows heading forward to come forward and take communion. And, and while you're doing it, I want you to just think. Just think of the influence that Jesus has on you by this act of giving his life for you and me. He gave up his life for you and me. Let that influence you as you come share in communion.
back so if you've already partaken that's okay but the rest of us let's do this together piece of matzah matzah cracker broken pierced representing what happened to Jesus on the cross matzah has no yeast in it yeast is a symbol of sin in the Bible Jesus had no sin Yet he gave himself up for us. What an influence. Eat together. The blood of Jesus. He spilled every drop. The blood flowed out all the way to the point where water was flowing out of his body. There was not a drop of blood left in his body. Whenever you hear that argument that maybe Jesus wasn't quite dead, and that's why he rose from the dead. You can't live for three days with no blood in your body. He gave that all up for us. To take away our sin. Not just to cover over them like a whitewashed tomb with dead bones inside. He took our sins away. He, he gave us new birth inside. He did that for us. What an influence. Let's drink. Before I pray, we're going to keep going just for a little bit. The band is going to lead us in that song a little bit more of it. And then we're going to walk out and we always take a benevolence offering on communion days. 
And uh, if you came prepared to give, don't don't be on a guilt trip if you didn't come prepared. But if you if you're able, came prepared to give. Let the influence of what Jesus did do something to how you give that benevolence offering. Let it be something where you're saying, you know what? If you can do this for me, Jesus, I can certainly do a little bit for your people, the people you create, for people that are hurting. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much. Thank you so much for being such a a great influence on us. Sometimes, Lord, you are that quiet influencer. You just allow us to see things that, that change us from the inside out. Thank you, Lord, for uh, teaching us, being a great teacher. Jesus, you were called the great teacher. You are the great teacher. You're the great rabbi. Keep influencing us through your Holy Spirit, teaching us how to influence other people. And we thank you for that. We thank you for all you're doing and what you're going to continue to do in our lives. We pray it in your name, Jesus. Amen.